Hi, I'm Noam Wasserman, Dean of the Sy Sim School of Business at Yeshiva University. I was a longtime professor at Harvard Business School, an entrepreneur, and a venture capitalist. I wrote the bestseller, The Founder's Dilemmas. And I'm Charlie Harari. I've been working with companies for over 10 years. And that book, The Founder's Dilemmas, and the challenges faced by the 10,000 founders in it is the basis of this podcast. We are delving into the issues faced by startups to help you avoid the pitfalls that claim so many good companies. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. You are at the Founders Dilemmas podcast. I'm Charlie Harari. I'm Noah Mosserman. And we're talking about all things related to startups and entrepreneurship and founders and all the stuff you need to know if you have or want to have your own business. Dean, what do you got for us today? So we are right on the heels of the founder getting fired. That's right. What leads up to it. Our last episode. Exactly. Um, now we're going to get into the day after the firing. Mm. Now we're going to get into what is going to be the landscape for the venture, landscape for the founder in terms of the next steps with it. Uh, let's just back up in terms of some of the reminders around it, put ourselves into the shoes of the founder and the thing that the founder has experienced until now. Um, if you take a look at the successes within the venture, these are major things that are celebrated. You've been working for months or if not longer on getting the product developed. You have blood, sweat, and tears that are going on for 24-6 that you've been plowing into it. And now, finally, the product is developed. How does that feel for the founder? Amazing. This is through the roof. This is a major celebration. The they throw a party. Up. The kid's growing up. Exactly. And they market that is, uh, they will pop the champagne and they will celebrate that. On the basis of that success, you're then able to raise a round of financing after months of going without pay, months of going without having any imprint of, it. yes, there is an idea here that an outsider is bringing to it. How does it feel when you raise that round of financing? Amazing. What do you do? What's the first thing you do with their money? Right. Throw the party. Right, exactly. <laughs> better champagne. Right, right, right. More of it. It's always better when someone else pays for it. <laughs> exactly. So these are very heady days when you hit these key milestones for the startup. But as we talked about last time, what do each of those milestones actually indicate? Not that this is the celebratory side of it, but it is indicating the heightened chance that there's the demise of the founder exactly. as the leader of the venture. Exactly. And so the crushing aspect of it, some of the things that we talked about, ton of bricks, punch in the stomach, that is what the founder is feeling. Um, we talked about also one of my favorite founders, Lou Cerny, the message that he got from his board member. This was not an inexperienced board member. This is a Midas 100 board member. This is like the top rankings of venture capitalists. This is someone from the top of those, from a top firm, Greylock, uh, from there, who is giving him this message about, I've seen this time after time. If we're going to have the venture realize its full value, we need a new leader. Lou, you have six months to find us that new leader. Charlie, when you've worked with founders, if you were to put yourself in Lou's shoes, does Lou have any choice about this with the situation that he's in and what we talked about last time? Not anymore. I mean, he could... He can play any way he wants, but at the end of the day, if his board members and his major investors are in one direction, it's just going to be pain if he doesn't play along. Okay, so a bit of what's going through Lou's mind is the regrets about how he's gotten to this point For where sure. he can't hit the undo key on it. Um, you're thinking about the past decisions that you made. Should I even have taken their money? Should sure. I have done a bunch of these things that coalesced into yeah. there? And I'll tell you one more. When you get to the world of personalities, a lot of people that are founders and, then, and they're ideators a lot of them are not confrontationalists. And it comes either because of a lack of business experience or just be, just a personality. And a lot of these partners that are used to having to make tough calls and have tough conversations, they're much more experienced boxers. And so what, what's probably going on in Lou's head is, 
I can't fight with this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the fight isn't even fair. He's a bigger guy than me. He's like going up against somebody who's in the Navy SEALs. Maybe we're together. We were in sixth grade. We wrestled, but he went through the Navy SEALs. So a Greylock partner, a, a, a private equity partner, has seen this, done this, and has these has had so many of these difficult conversations that founders can't they can't get in the ring with these guys. So thank you for the mic changery. <laughs> uh, with Lou, after the initial recoil, he gets this message. You have six months to find a replacement for us. His head is reeling for a little bit. But then he actually starts realizing a little bit more of the situation was favorable than he might have thought. So for instance, Charlie, if you are a board member, do you want the founder to completely disappear from the scene? No. Why not? Not at all. Because who has that? He's, he's a, usually a product guy. And who knows the product better than him? And this is the beginning of, a, of an organization. So we've got a lot of product stuff. And there's going to be a lot of hits and hiccups and I want my product guy and my dreamer and my ideator to be as engaged as ever. I just don't. I just don't want him to be doing things he can't do. And that I think is that's the biggest fear is that he's going to get into sales and out of and out of the, the technology, which is where I need him. Okay, so there's the the hardcore knowledge that he's bringing to it in terms of technology, in terms of product, things like right. that. Any softer things yeah, that he also the culture, brings to it? The culture. You said he built a family. What happens in the family when the father leaves? Okay, so the kids are all going to leave after him. When we lose him, are there going to be any waves? Massive. Are they going to be? Yeah. What if I told you that Lou had hired every one personally of the executive team and all but one of the technical team? They're all going to walk out. All or, sorts or of. Or even if they stay, they, their hearts are going to walk out the door. Okay, so is there any way in which there's some leverage that the founder has, given Good the worries time. that they might have because of yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Okay, as the successor, do you want Lou to disappear completely? Why? Because I want I, I need him around because he's gonna be my bridge to being being accepted from the, the new people, and if I'm the successor, I probably not I don't have the first level of experience of expertise in, in in the specific area that I need. Most likely, if I'm a successor, I'm probably more of a generalist. I need the I need the acceptance, I need the approval, I need the culture to be high, I need the information to be strong. He'll bring all that. Okay, let me tell you about one of the demands that they had of Lou. Lou was the chairman of the board directors, as often the founder is. The successor wanted Lou to step down as chairman. How are you feeling about that, Lou? Lou's upset. I, I see why the successor did it, but Lou's probably really upset. Okay, so why is the successor doing that? Because he wants the power and control. Okay. And he wants to be in charge. Okay, and how does, chairman is relatively speaking just a symbolic role within the board. It's Maybe he has a little bit of the control of the agenda at board meetings, but short of that, he's just another board member. He only has one vote. There's like everyone else does within the board. Why would it be so important to the successor that he not be chairman? It sends the message that he's in charge. Okay, so a control side of it. Yeah. I'm being brought in to make major changes. What happens when he's making major changes in the product that don't align with the founder's vision for it or in the team, the major loyalists that Lou had hired in and things yeah. like that? What might happen at that first board meeting oh, it's when be, they're across the table from each oh, other? It's going to be fireworks. Fireworks. Yeah, as soon as an idea comes up, and uh, what is it, who is everyone going to look to to see where people come out? Are they going to look to the new CEO first, or are they going to look to Lou to see where Lou comes out on it? I think they'll look at Lou. Okay. What do you have to say about this change and what is going on here? Right. What do you have to say about this dramatic shift, yep. about this person being replaced and things like that? You'll be looking to Lou, not to the new CEO. And that's a whole bunch of the control issues that would be introduced by that. Yeah. In that case, why are you keeping Lou around at all? You need him. Now, if, if Lou's going to be a, a constant detractor, 
you probably want to rip off the Band-Aid. If Lou's going to be helpful, then which is probably super hard from a personality perspective, then you want to keep him around. How would you be able to tell? You can see on the board meetings. You can see in the written reactions. You can see within the first two months if he's going to be, you know, what are you doing here? I belong here. Or if he'll be, let's build this company together. Okay. And that's really a question in Lou and a question in Greylock. Okay, so this is actually something going back to a concept that we also introduced recently. Um, investors have what they uh, have what they think of as a rich versus king test. Yeah, when they are first investing in a founder, they will already be trying to figure out if, when the time comes that I am thinking that we need to have a change in the CEO, is the founder going to be on board with that, or is the founder going to want to remain king on the throne or queen on the throne, and they're going to be fighting this succession. Mm-hmm. Succession is always a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a major transition that is make or break for the company. And then when you layer on a whole bunch of these additional challenges that you're going to have with it being a very high-risk enterprise for being able to have this happen well, the investors are thinking all the way down to that endpoint when they are first even thinking about whether they're going to invest in the company. Mm-hmm. We can layer on also if we have a comparison to large companies. When you have the best of the CEOs in large companies, so Jack Welch, like a, arguably the CEO of the last half century uh, that we had, um, at General Electric. When Jack Welch is stepping down as CEO of General Electric, doesn't he have inta- t- intangible relationships that are going to be lost if he completely disappears? Doesn't he have a company and product knowledge that is going to be critical for us to understand in terms of the vision that he brought to which of the businesses we should be going into and which ones right. we should lose? And yet, does Jack Welch stick around when Jeff Immelt is named CEO? No. No, he doesn't even stay on the board in any kind of a role. He doesn't stay definitely within the executive team or anything like that. And uh, there's all sorts of reasons why, so that Jeff Immelt can take the reins and be able to do what the next stage of GE's development is going to be. Um, And so if we look at that within ventures, what we have is actually the challenging point that you teed up already, the the balance of it, irreplaceable founder versus the founder that's going to harm our being able to have this be a smooth transition. Right. And from the successor's perspective, it's really tough to come into any new CEO position when it's a company you don't know yet, even tougher. When your successor is still there, the tough becomes almost impossible. And when your successor is still there and disillusioned with having been replaced. It's impossible. Impossible for it. It only works if he's happier there. And so how you can be able to tell, either as the investor or as the successor, is this person going to be on board with it? Are they going to be okay with my being the one calling the shots, with when everyone is looking at the board meeting at him? Is he going to be saying, I defer completely to what our new CEO is going to say about this decision, even when it is assaulting the very values that he brought to the company and the early decisions of people that he brought Mm -hmm. into it and things like that. And so that's the situation that we're in with this very high-risk inflection point of having this be a smooth transition or whether it's going to be something that is betting that this is where the potential of the company could be reached or it could be the demise of the company if this is not done well. I see this happening in a lot of businesses that are much smaller in different ways. People come in, they get hired to do something that was once the responsibility of somebody else that's still in the company. It's not taking over the whole company, but it's taking over the production, it's taking over the sales, taking over the management, it's taking over something um, it's a very similar exercise to what's going on, which is you have somebody that is still there but was once in charge of three things, and they hired somebody to do one of those three things. And it may not have been their choice. It's a very similar dynamic to 
how do you navigate a new person when the 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 person who is be, who who he's being replaced by is still there it, it's it's a incredibly complex yeah there's actually a couple of great videos that I show in class when we are talking about this inflection point and the first board meeting when you have the successor running the show and the founder still at the table within that board meeting. Um, one of them is when Steve Jobs yeah. uh, had uh, John Scully come in as the CEO of Apple and the uh, fisticuffs between the two of them at that initial board meeting, possibly in our resources page. Maybe we should For post sure. a, we'll a link, link to that clip. Um, another one that I actually find more fun, but it's no one that anyone has ever heard of before, except for the automotive aficionados out there. Um, there was a pioneer in the automotive industry named Preston Tucker back uh, 60, 70 years ago. Um, pioneered a lot of things that we now take for granted in autos, uh, seat belts and other things along those lines. And when they had decided he should step down as the CEO of that company, um, in a, video, um, a movie that they made about his life, um, it shows the first board meeting again between the successor being there and uh, Preston Tucker being at the table. And the successor is going through several of the things they're going to have to change in this product, in the Tucker automobile that they had. And he's exiting off of it, seatbelts, they've got to go. And Tucker pounds the table and he says, seatbelts, you're going to kill people with my product. And the successor says, seatbelts are going to apply to people that our cars are unsafe. This is going to harm our marketing. There's all sorts of ways in which you're going to have to adjust to the world, Preston, and I'm the one in charge here. And so all sorts of ways in which we have this meeting of misalignment, all sorts of ways in which the changes are going to be assaulting the founder. The founder is going to be fighting back against it. Everyone else is going to be reeling from the ways in which this founder is not reacting well to it. And this is where the make or break for the company is coming to a fore in terms of this critical inflection point for it. Um, they're interesting thing in terms of um, the investors that we talked about with their rich versus king test, and they're posing that ahead of time. Um, when I did a case study on Lou to be able to bring a bunch of the visceral reactions into class, being able to have the students walk in his shoes and understand what it takes to be that, ironically, the co-writer, the co my co-author on it, was the chairman of Greylock Partners, <laughs> whose partner was the one who was firing Lou. Um, one of the things that motivated Henry McCants was his name, um, wonderful collaborator on that project. One of the reasons, in addition to his being a great guy, was that he wanted to be able to have more alignment between founders and investors and have them understand this critical inflection point and the best practices around it. Have founders not opt into taking the investor money if they were not ready for that kind of a transition there. Um, and so I put it to Henry, like you're doing the rich versus king test. This is why VCs get paid the big bucks. The art of being able to tell when is there going to be a fight down the line. So of course you never have to face succession. Like we don't really have a case study to write here because you don't have any founders within your company that you guys have ever replaced. And he said, even with our focusing on this, only trying to invest in the founders who are going to be able to go the distance, we still have to replace 25% of them. Wow. And so even the ones who excel at it, even the ones who focus on this as a criterion, and also, this is the original uh, founder-friendly firm. We have now a growth of a lot of them, Andreessen Horowitz, a lot of the other prominent firms who make their brand name on being founder-friendly. That typically translates for founders into they'll keep me as the CEO of this. Despite that, the original founder-friendly firm of Greylock, 25% of the time, they're having to replace the founder because of the dynamics that we've talked about, the major changes that are going on within the company. And now we have to, we have fiduciary duty to our investors to make sure that we are right. making the company as valuable as possible. And if keeping the founder in the spot when things are changing dramatically is going to get in the way of that, 
they have a legal uh, requirement to be able to make sure that the right CEO is leading it. Yep. I would think that if we're not training founders and training CEOs to adapt um, and to become more self-aware and more focused on what they can do and what they couldn't do, you're, you're seeing this. There's no way the company can, can grow to that level. And so I, I think it's in every company. There's someone in a job that shouldn't be in the job, and they're in the job because they got there first. And the ability to say, I don't belong here, and be proactive is what keeps them there. And if they don't, over time, someone just gets rid of them. And it's you see this again and again. You see this in family businesses. You see this in, in businesses that are you know, family only. You see this everywhere. People are not, and we're, we're all guilty of it, right? There's a certain feeling of being found. I, I, I'll tell you honestly, I had something that I started years ago that I started all from Hashem. I mean, whatever God puts in, it's not me, it's Him. But it was an idea that I had, and I did all the work, and we launched it. And then a year later, it was an, in a nonprofit. The, you know, whatever, had said, listen, we're going to have to move you out. You know, we need someone that's going to have more time to put into this, and you're just not, you're not putting enough time in. And I'm st- every time I look at the thing, that thing, it still bothers me. Like, it still bothers me that, like, I, I, I remember when we first started this thing. It just came out of, like, I can't believe that it was like I was just dismissed from this particular thing even though I didn't have as much time as the other person in, even though I wasn't willing to, you know, do whatever needed to happen to grow this thing. And that may have been the better call. It doesn't matter. And that's an emotional connection that people have to things that gets in the way of their success and the company's success. And you see this everywhere. Yeah, it's not just everywhere now, but it's timeless also. Um, You have throughout the Torah, Rashi on a recurring basis talks about how when the new leader comes in, the old one has to disappear. That's the Moshe and Yahushua transition they have there. Throughout the Talmud, you have the same kind of thing when you have Rabbah and Rav Yosef and they're being the the Rosh Yeshiva, the head of the academy. it has to be that one of them leaves and only then can Rav yeah. Yosef be coming up into the next stage of it yeah. and things like that. Um, and so this is the timeless, the uh, yeah. universal in terms of a bunch of the things. Um, in terms of the data, um, uh, going back to the comparison to Jack Welch and does he disappear or not, it actually happens to be that more than half of the time, the founder after being replaced stays in the venture yeah. as a lower level employee. Wow. And so there within the team for Lou, that turned into chief technology officer. Um, he took on the technical reins to be able to fit a bit of his technical knowledge and the other ways in which he could get back to his baby, like his passion from before that. Um, one of the key things that he had to negotiate about why he was going to be willing to go and give up the reins um, was, A, he required having veto power over who the new successor was going to be. Mm -hmm. I am the best one to be able to tell who's going to be the next best parent for the baby and other things like that. That was one of the things that that he made sure to be able to have there. That actually led to, instead of it being six months until they they brought the replacement in, Lou didn't find someone who was a good next uh, husband for his wife, <laughs> who he was divorcing now. Um, no surprise that none of them were, were good enough. Were good enough, or better would be, I guess, for his daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right, that right, uh, right. Um, the, the husband for his daughter. None of them were were handsome enough or right. talented enough for him. It ended up taking six months, tw- uh, six months more, twice as long uh, for them to finally have Prince Charming be walking in the door. Wow. Um, but then Prince Charming was coming in and saying he can't be the chairman because of a bunch of the control and things like that. Another one of the dimensions is also the financial side. Being able to diagnose the founder and what is making them tick. 
Does this founder only want to be king on the throne? Or is there also a rich side to that person? Does that person also want totally. to get richer? Right. And it might be that the founder gets some of the equity bought out by the investor in order to have them see some gain right now from being able yeah. to hand over the reins. Um, that also reduces, a uh, founder's called a pressure release valve, um, that now not my entire net worth is riding on everything. I was able to cash out some of it. Yeah. That takes some of the edge off of sure. them and opposing some of the other pieces there. That's some of the other things that Lou was able to uh, be able to line up in terms of being able to have, um, even if he's giving up some of the king that he can get rich from it and be able to yeah. have that. Um, and so other ways in which being able to leverage uh, into a little bit of a better position, one of the other key things, and this comes out in my data about what do the founders end up going to afterwards? Um, founders who initiate, we talked about how 73% are fired, but comparing that to the 27% who initiate it, raise their hand and say, I can see where this is going. I am not the right person for this company and things like that. Those people who uh, initiate the change themselves as founders are able to get a more senior position in the company, hmm. more likely that they're going to be below the, cha the chief level, C-level positions if they get fired. But if they initiate it, more of a chance that they're going to get a C-level position within the executive team, more of a chance that they're going to be able to stay on the board if they initiate it and they take the reins on it. Mm -hmm. And so a bit of that self-awareness both about themselves and about where things are going. And if they can take that, seize the reins, be able to take a little bit more control of the succession process, um, that's where the self-awareness and the negotiating power is able to come together to be able to reinforce that for the founder. Fascinating. Okay. Well, that was an incredible uh, overview, and I think this applies on so many levels, um, both if you are one of those founders or even if you have a, a business in which the roles are shifting and the, the company is evolving and the ability to, to see ahead of the curve and to be proactive about it and to be more and more self-aware allows you to actually progress a lot quicker. I'm almost thinking about these serial entrepreneurs that really would be better off cashing out in their positions and going and starting something new or go then fighting and staying and letting not the emotions drive this was founders dilemmas podcast uh, brought to you uh, by dean wasserman and myself charlie Harari. thank you much for thank you so much for joining us you can always email us questions at founders dilemmas podcast uh, at gmail.com we want to hear your questions want to hear your thoughts want to hear your feedback and as always we cannot wait to see you next time